Brethren, the story of a great recovery. Part 2 Scotland and Ireland Chapter 8 Part 2 Nuonards and the Ards Peninsula In the year 1860, James Patton, a Nuonards watchmaker, while on a visit to Dublin accompanied by his sister, attended a meeting for the breaking of bread. As the service proceeded, the presence of the Lord became blessedly real, and the young woman, visibly impressed by what was taking place, was heard to whisper to her brother, James, this is just what we have been looking for. On their return home a meeting was commenced in a private house. Isaac Finley, then a young man in business, had only recently been converted, and on reading his Bible made the startling discovery that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should be baptized by immersion and meet together to remember the Lord on the first day of the week. He found that, contrary to the traditions of the church in which he had been reared, this was possible without the presence of a clergyman, in fact, Isaac saw that Paul had no notion of such an ecclesiastical dignitary in the New Testament. Thus shortly after his conversion Isaac, along with one or two others, joined the few who were meeting in the private house referred to. The little company afterwards moved to a hall in Mill Street, and later, about the year 1890, a grain store was rented and reconstructed for use as a hall. During those years an aggressive gospel testimony was maintained and a Sunday school was commenced. This fresh development eventually necessitated a new hall being built, which was opened in 1921. At the present time there is a thriving assembly with about 200 in fellowship, and a Sunday school of upwards of 500. In the early 80s Mr. Patton, when on a trip to Stranraer, made the acquaintance of a young man named John Walbrand. When the latter crossed over to Ireland at the invitation of Mr. Patton, he was taken by his friend to a hill overlooking the Yards Peninsula. As the two men stood gazing across the fertile stretch of country, Mr. Patton, with a touch of pathos in his voice, remarked to the young man, There, before you, is a district of eighteen miles in length without spiritual light. John Walbrand took up the challenge and did pioneer work there for many years. Butterlump Assembly, afterwards moved to Portavagy, was commenced, and the gospel was preached throughout the peninsula. Besides Portavagy there are now assemblies at Carty, Ballywalter, Ballyhay, Scrabo, and Comer. James Patton was taken home in 1888, Isaac Finley lived to be 90 and passed away in 1916. Ten or twelve miles east of Belfast, on the county down coast, lies the town of Bangor. Early in the 70s, W. O. H. McLaughlin and John C. Graham, who usually spent the summer months of each year in Ballyhome, started a little meeting there. They were joined later by R. McClay and G. Loden. These two brethren were greatly used in Bangor and District and through the Ards Peninsula, where at crossroads, in barns and halls the voice of these pioneers was heard proclaiming the gospel. With many Christians coming from Belfast, they deemed it expedient to move to Bangor, where more accommodation was found in Holborn Hall. Here these brethren continued with H. B. Thompson, J. Anderson and the Watt brothers. This fresh impetus to the little assembly created a lively spiritual interest, and with the increase in numbers it became necessary almost to rebuild the hall. There are at present three assemblies in Bangor, Holborn, Central and Ebenezer. About this time a meeting was commenced by Robert Sparks in the little town of Holywood, on the main road to Bangor and about four miles from Belfast. He was then solicitor to the Ulster Bank head office, Belfast, which position he later relinquished to share in the worldwide missionary responsibilities of Echoes of Service at Bath. 
Previous to the commencement of the assemblies in the neighborhood of Belfast just referred to, a few brethren were meeting to remember the Lord's death in the house of Mr. Herman in Young Street, Lisburn, a town about ten miles from the city. After a time they moved to a hall in Conn's Yard. About the year 1874, Robert and James Stewart, mill owners and thread manufacturers, purchased the Methodist Hall in Market Street, where a testimony was maintained for some years. Following the death of Robert Stewart, the property passed into other hands, and the brethren subsequently built the present hall in Wallace Avenue, where there is still a progressive gospel testimony. In the autumn of 1873, following a visit to America, James Campbell arrived in County Down. He was accompanied by John Bowl, a Presbyterian elder who had been saved through the preaching of Mr. Campbell in America. Energized with the zeal of a first love, the young convert, on the return to his native country, became deeply concerned as to the salvation of his relatives in Ballamaconaghy, near Belfast. This he made known to Mr. Campbell, who about that time was joined by Mr. James Smith, of Aberdeen. An intensive gospel campaign followed, and large numbers were brought to the Savior. Among them were the relatives of the young convert. This season of general awakening, when old and young were roused from a spiritual lethargy which seemed to have become part of their daily lives, became a starting point from which radiated gospel activity that continued all over the north of Ireland. But Campbell and Smith were men of much prayer, full of the Holy Ghost and very active gospelers. And through their labors for the Master may be attributed not only the laying of many foundations, but the building of not a few churches which today are a living testimony. Thus from the circumstance of the fervent prayer of a young convert, accompanied by a remarkable work of grace, an assembly was formed in the district of Ballinraconaghy, the meeting room being in the house of the relatives of John Bowl, who were among the first to be saved. The two evangelists now moved to Belfast, and having obtained the use of a schoolroom from a Christian clergyman who also gave assistance in the work, they carried the gospel into the homes of the people. This was followed by a summer campaign, when a tent was pitched on Donegal Pass. Then in the autumn of the same year came the Moody and Sankey visit to Belfast, when the city was stirred as never before and hundreds of souls were brought into the kingdom. An important feature of the work of grace during that memorable year was the large number of young men saved and afterwards gathered into the assemblies of Christians, of which there were four or five in Belfast at that time. Pioneer Work in Ulster From the city of Belfast the activities of Campbell and Smith extended to Dromore, Crossgar and other districts of County Down. As a result of their visit to the neighborhood of Crossgar, an assembly was formed, the first meeting for the breaking of bread being held in the house of Mrs. McCleary at Ballywoolen, near Crossgar, in June, 1874. Shortly afterwards, the meeting was moved to a loft behind the house, when twenty members gathered around the Lord's table. On the first Lord's Day it was held there, the roof had not been completed, so that the Remembrance Feast was celebrated under the open sky. Here they continued for two and a half years, after which the assembly moved into the present hall at Crossgar. The converts were baptized in the stream that runs beside the house at Ballywoolen. Where the river crosses the road, it was dammed at the bridge, and the volume of water allowed to increase till of a sufficient depth to suit the purpose of baptism. When the neighbors saw the stream being dammed up they knew what was about to happen, and people gathered in large numbers to witness the ceremony. At one particular baptismal service, a large crowd, mostly Roman Catholics, gathered and threw stones and sticks at the converts. Mr. Campbell, who was baptizing the believers, was cut in the face, while several others received injury from missiles thrown during the ceremony. 
the house was then attacked and most of the windows were broken. Despite this persecution, which was urged on by the priests, twelve converts were baptized that evening. Nor did the little company of Christians suffer depression of spirits because of the cruel treatment received at the hands of the enemy. On the contrary, such wanton acts of violence seemed only to give them fresh impetus. On one occasion when Campbell and Smith had been preaching at Ballywoolen, the audience continued singing hymns outside till late into the night, and it is said that the singing was heard two or three miles away. As the meeting continued, one after another confessed faith in Christ, to occasion a fresh outburst of praise. The Crossgar Assembly in its heyday numbered about 70 to 80, but it gradually diminished as one family after another migrated to the colonies. Many of the young men who went out preaching on the Lord's Day gathered on Saturday night at the house of a brother in Belfast. A prayer meeting would take place, after which it was decided where they should go preaching the following day, going out in apostolic fashion, two by two, to the small country assemblies. James Smith was called home in 1878. His fellow laborer in the gospel continued full of work for nearly thirty years after. We come now to another remarkable development of the work in which, undoubtedly, James Campbell was the chief promoter and pioneer. For the first three years since his coming to Ireland he preached almost every night. Burdened with the great need, so evident on every hand, Campbell constantly prayed the Lord to raise up more laborers. Young men whom he considered well fitted for service, he encouraged to give themselves to the work. This in time, bore fruit. One after another was raised up of the Lord to go forth on the same lines, pioneering all the time, for there were few assemblies to go to for help in those days. About this time Drive W. J. Matthews felt the call of the gospel and became greatly exercised in soul at the overwhelming need of men ready to go forth with the message of salvation to the outlying districts yet unreached. He had just graduated in medicine at the Royal University of Ireland and, after long inward constraint, decided to give up his newly acquired profession, to go preaching without salary or means. This he continued to do uninterruptedly for upwards of half a century. From the first, God seemed to bless the work, and not only was he used in the conversion of a vast number of souls, but in later years was an outstanding figure in assembly life in Northern Ireland, having been the means of the founding and the building up of churches in many parts of Ulster. Dr. Matthews was joined by Thomas Locke, a draper who took a fortnight's holiday to lend a hand in the gospel, and continued for twenty-four years, till the Lord called him home. Others went out about the same time, and all continued for years. Possibly the last survivor is John Knox McEwen, who went forth about fifty-seven years ago, and though now advanced in years is still preaching. Almost all were unmarried young men who had no family responsibilities, and were thus able to go on year after year. There were times when the pioneer laborers were faced with almost insuperable difficulties, not a few occasions arising when it was with difficulty money was found for the week's lodging. But the Lord never failed to supply their every need. The work went on and considerable numbers were brought to a knowledge of the truth. Assemblies were formed throughout the province, and this development continued with the passage of years, till at the present time there are about 150 assemblies in Ulster alone, out of perhaps a million and a quarter population. The next district to be opened up about this time was County Armagh, through the labors of William Maclean and David Ray. The latter had for some years been associated with the Irish Evangelization Society, which he left that he might obey the whole word of God. In doing so he gave up a salary, to trust in God alone for support, and be free to follow the Lord in believers' baptism and in the breaking of bread. 
he was joined by Mr. McLean in 1878. From that year onwards, the two pioneers carried the gospel to those who lived in religious darkness and made known the unpreached truths of the New Testament throughout the scattered districts of Portadown, Armagh and Keedy, with lasting results. Assemblies gathered in various places, and the Ahori Annual Believers' Meeting, which was commenced about that time, continues to the present day, with a company of about 600 attending for fellowship and the ministry of the Word. During the summer of 1882 John Halliburton, a Scottish evangelist, accompanied by Alexander Scott, the son of an Irish farmer and gifted as a gospel preacher, arrived in the neighborhood of Dunedry and pitched a gospel tent on some farmland there. Their reception, although not exactly hostile, was far from cordial, for these itinerant preachers had landed amongst a people of the staunch Presbyterian type, who, though devout enough in their form of worship, thought it sheer presumption that anyone could be sure of being saved. It is not to be wondered, therefore, that when these men preached after the manner of the Puritans, keeping the three R's ruin, redemption and regeneration prominently to the fore, there was no small stir in the countryside. But the hand of the Lord was with his servants, and men and women were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and soon afterwards brought to Christ. Then as these preachers, faithful to the text of the commission, sought to teach the converts to observe all things, those who sought to follow the Lord began to know something of bearing his reproach, and suffering shame for his name. A number were baptized in what was then known as the Old Lodge Hall, Belfast, and in the following year they gathered in the capacity of an assembly in the home of Mrs. Boyd, a widow who herself had been saved some time prior to the coming of the tent to Dunedry. Here they continued for some years, until the present modest hall was built. David Rees' steps were directed to the village of Killeen, through a letter received from his friend William McLean, who had recently been there. He had preached in the Orange Hall, and could only remain one night, but he assured his friend that he would find the hall filled with people, sitting like little birds in a nest, waiting and hungering for the gospel. David Ray responded to the call. Night after night the building was packed, many being unable to gain admission. Soon afterwards he was joined by Mr. McLean and the meetings were continued for six months, during which time the Spirit of the Lord moved mightily upon the people and large numbers were truly converted to God. The evangelists now gathered together those who had been saved and instructed them in the doctrine of baptism by immersion and the breaking of bread on the first day of the week. To some who had been brought up in the church and reared on its ecclesiastical creeds, this was quite new teaching and caused much bitterness. The first to be baptized was a man named James Henderson. Mr. Ray had been told that this brother wanted a conversation with him on the subject he called upon him and inquired if he wished to speak on the question of baptism. Not now, was the ready reply, I have been to the word, and I now want to get to the water. He was baptized soon afterwards in a river nearby. Thus the foundation of a new church was laid at Killeen. On another occasion, during a mission at Carvac, a baptism took place in the river, when six converts, among them being the daughter of a clergyman, passed through the waters. A man threatened to shoot me if I dared to immerse anyone in this locality, says David Ray, in his interesting biography and while the baptism was taking place, he came armed with a gun and concealed himself adjacent to the river bank, but the Lord prevented him from carrying his threat into execution. In the Villages of Ulster In the early 80s gospel concentration was made upon the central district of County Down. The responsibility fell to the lot of Dr. Matthews and a brother named Oliver, who for several years labored together all through those parts, where at that time there was no testimony at all. 
God signally owned the labors of these men, toiling upon virgin soil, in the raising up of true believers and the formation of several healthy assemblies. A pleasing feature was the attendant circumstance that many saved during this time were raised up to carry the gospel to other parts of the world. Through lack of employment in the old country, considerable numbers from time to time emigrated to the colonies, and there are assemblies in Canada and New Zealand, as well as in the United States of America, who can trace their origin to those pioneering days in Northern Ireland. About this time, the Olmag district in County Tyrone was visited by James Campbell and William Matthews and an aggressive campaign was carried on, attended with much blessing, meetings being held in tents and barns through lack of more suitable housing accommodation. In the process of such work at this period, it should be remembered that these laborers in the gospel, going out in true apostolic fashion, did not enjoy the comforts and comparative luxury that fall to the lot of some of the present-day evangelists, and their means being scanty, it frequently happened that it was with difficulty they were able to make ends meet. One feature, however, prevailed, then which, possibly because of changed conditions, does not appear so much in evidence today, and that to the extent of assisting each other during a difficult and trying period. Thus, when one laborer had more than necessary to meet his present financial requirements, he would share with others. Especially was this the case towards those who were laboring in isolated parts, breaking up new ground. In this way a close fellowship and brotherly love in the truest sense existed amongst the little band of pioneer workers, which linked them together and in a powerful measure contributed largely to the success which attended their labors in the laying of a foundation upon which succeeding generations have built a spiritual structure. During the summer of 1879, Campbell and Matthews pitched a tent a mile out of Cookstown on the Moneymore Road. Almost from the first night of their arrival there was a continuous work of grace, productive of blessing in the conversion of souls. After two months the tent was moved to Aguilas, about a mile and a half on the other side of the town. Here the gospel meetings were followed by Bible readings, where the scriptures were opened up and New Testament truths revealed to those who had recently experienced the new birth and were now thirsting for a fuller knowledge of the divine will of God. Soon afterwards a few believers gathered to remember the Lord Jesus in the breaking of bread. Through the summer large numbers were brought to the Savior, and by the month of October the number gathering around the Lord's table had increased to about seventy. Mr. Campbell rented the upper room of a store in the town, but this apartment in course of time became too small and a hall was built in Cookstown. Campbell and Matthews had meetings in Gilly, writes an aged sister, but it was Dr. Matthews who started the morning meeting. He stayed at our home, and I went with him across the country, as he did not know the way. Someone always accompanied him at night, one who knew the district led the way, Dr. Matthews next, and about ten or twelve followed behind. We went through fields and over by roads, which would have puzzled a stranger. However, God blessed the word and many people were saved, recalling the memorable visit of Campbell and Matthews, my aged correspondent writes with the zeal of youth in her vivid description of those stirring times, when many of the countryfolk walked six or eight miles to the meetings, arriving back home about midnight, or soon after. This happy exercise of soul and body was continued three nights a week for six weeks. Campbell and Matthews labored in season and out of season, in busy city, country town, lonely hamlet, and rural district throughout the unreached parts of the north of Ireland. Fairs and markets were visited, says another writer, open-air meetings held, thousands of pointed messages distributed, and numbers dealt with personally about their eternal welfare. 
Souls were saved in churches planted in very many parts, the crowning time in soul winning being in Cookstown District in 1879-80, hundreds being led to Christ. As a father in the faith and a true shepherd of souls, no name is more cherished in these parts than that of beloved James Campbell. In the summer of 1893 County Donegal, which is largely Roman Catholic, was visited by James Mega and George Watt. The evangelists pitched a gospel tent at Ram Elton, a village not far from Letterkenny. Later, they were joined by Dr. Matthews. From the start, they were faced with tremendous opposition, and the fortresses of Rome appeared almost impregnable. The pioneers, therefore, reluctantly confined their attention to isolated Protestant districts where, amid difficulties and discouragement, the two brethren labored assiduously for two years. At Letterkenny their efforts in the gospel were rewarded in seeing a number of men and women brought to the Savior. An assembly was formed, and after much difficulty, fostered by local prejudice, a suitable hall was secured, where there is still a living testimony, surrounded by the forces of Roman Catholicism. Afterwards some useful pioneering was carried into the enemy's camp by Hugh Crichton and others, but it was chiefly upon the shoulders of Dr. Matthews and James Mega that the burden of pioneering in Donegal was borne. Later a survey was made of County Derry, Colrain and Limavady, and it was decided to launch a gospel effort, chiefly in the outlying districts. In Colrain, two brethren with a few women began to remember the Lord. For a time the assembly was cared for by visiting brethren. As the testimony grew, God raised others locally who have since kept the light burning. Limavady is a district lying between Derry and Colrain, and had not yet been reached by the gospel until in 1901, when Dr. Matthews, accompanied by a young man named R. McCracken, pitched a tent in the neighborhood. While the work was in progress the doctor's health gave way, due to the prolonged strain, and the reins were taken up by his brother, Abram Matthews, who continued the work in the tent with fruitful results. Here again, the New Testament truths of believers, baptism and the Lord's Supper were taught to those who had recently confessed faith in Christ, and an assembly of believers was formed. From such beginnings a prosperous assembly now gathers in a splendid hall, once the old courthouse of the town. Somewhere in the early 70s a few Christians met in a private house in the town of Ligon. About this time Lord Carrick, from the south of Ireland, came along with Charles Inglis, of London, and a brother from Dublin known as Fiddler Joss. The Mechanics Institute was hired for gospel meetings and a remarkable work of grace followed, many being converted to God. Soon afterwards a company of believers commenced to remember the Lord's death. Some years after this, a young Christian named Dr. Darling came to reside at Ligon and rapidly established an extensive medical practice. His coming proved a great help to the young meeting. Dr. Darling had the inestimable blessing of a godly upbringing, and at the early age of ten, as recorded in his diary, he was brought to a saving knowledge of his Lord and Savior. To the little meeting he became a tower of strength, and was much used of the Lord in ministering to the growing church. For many years David Ray and Archibald Bell labored in this district, and greatly encouraged and strengthened the believers in and around Ligon and Portadown. The assembly at Kilmore, in County Armagh, about three miles from Ligon, had its origin in a barn, which had been hired for the purpose of gospel meetings, by the two evangelists, about the year 1888. At the opening meeting, although it was a bleak winter night with snow lying thickly on the ground, about forty people gathered in the cold barn to hear the gospel. The Lord gave much liberty, and a fruitful time of sowing and reaping followed. Recalling that eventful night, 
which was the beginning of a remarkable work of grace in the district, David Ray relates that after the first meeting, he and his fellow workers were leaving the barn when a young woman came running out of a house nearby and in an excited manner shouted to them to stop and come into the house. They went in, and there on the floor knelt three women and a young girl with arms upraised imploring God to save them. The two brethren knelt down beside them and asked God to reveal Christ to their anxious souls. In a few minutes one of the women rose to her feet and went out praising God for having saved her. By this time a number of people had gathered outside the door, and when the brethren left, they joined those in the house and remained until after midnight. On their return to the meeting in the barn the following evening, the evangelists were met by seven women and a young man. They had trusted the Savior in the house into which the two brethren had been called the previous night. This was the beginning of a time of revival in that district. Those who had been gathered into the kingdom met together on the first day of the week to remember the Lord. A Sunday school was commenced, and the Lord manifested His power in the salvation of many of the young folk. At Bessbrook, County Armagh, a village with a population of about 3,400 inhabitants, the foundation of an assembly was laid amid stormy scenes and violent opposition. This was about 60 years ago. Though known as the Model Village of Ireland, because of the fact that it possessed neither public house, pawnshop, nor police barracks, the reception given by the inhabitants to the messengers of the gospel of peace did not exactly accord with the rather dubious appellation assigned to that particular Irish village. David Ray and Francis Log arrived in the district with a gospel tent, and for two months toiled under disheartening conditions. At times the evangelists were obliged to obtain the assistance of the police from a neighboring town for protection. Several attempts were made by the mob to pull down the tent while the meetings were going on. Stones and other missiles were thrown upon it, and on one occasion the canvas was set on fire. And yet, despite the furious onslaught of the enemy, the Lord manifested His power and grace in a number of remarkable conversions. The baptism of ten believers in the river nearby was the occasion of a hostile demonstration by an unruly crowd, who gathered to witness the ceremony. Then in the evening, as if to give vent to their derision, a bonfire was kindled, when there was a further display of the hatred and contempt with which the evangelists were assailed. With a prelude, accompanied by such violent scenes, when the preachers were constantly beset with danger and difficulty, it would seem almost beyond belief, but for the wonder-working power of God, that at the close of what proved to be one of the most trying gospel campaigns, David Ray was able to write in his diary, we gathered together the converts on the first day of the week to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread. It was our privilege to have the assistance and fellowship of James Stewart, who was very helpful in ministering the word to the young believers and establishing them in the truth. Surely a striking instance of the triumph of the gospel in the armed camp of an unsleeping enemy.